This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, the best comic book podcast for regular comic fans. My name is Daniel Martinez. I am your guest host as Mike is out and about. And on today, I'm joined by two beignets from Café du Monde, Tia Vasilio. Bonjour. And Kate Scotchless. <laughs> Hello. And on today's show, we are going to be talking all about Gambit because that was Mike's birthday request. He could have asked for anything in the world, but he asked for us to read Gambit comics. So somebody finally does. But before that, we're going to close out the loop on Transformers. Finally, we've been Transformersing for a couple of weeks now. So I just want to quickly give you an update uh, on the Transformers number one from Image Skybound that came out this week by Daniel Warren Johnson with colors by Mike Spicer, letters by Rose Wooden. Yeah, the book rocks. It's amazing. I really loved it. So hopefully everyone else really enjoyed that. And hopefully everyone listening enjoyed our unhinged coverage, uh, extensive coverage too, of the Transformers franchise with the movie episode and then the comics episode. Uh, now you know everything about Transformers that you didn't even know you wanted to know. <laughs> now, per my contract, I am legally obligated to ask two questions. So, Kate, how have you been? How have comic books been? I've been good. Um, I have Comic books have been fantastic. I have a full stack, about a foot and a half high, of Halloween-ish themed comics to read this month and have just been it has been gray and rainy and like the wind is blowing the leaves off the trees and it's all it's perfect perfect atmosphere for it so this week i read hollow by shannon waters brandon boyer white and bernice snell it's a ya like coming of tale sort of uh ogn um which I'm like leveling up, you guys. It's not middle grade. We're getting older. We're getting more mature here. <laughs> uh, but it's a spinoff on the classic Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And when I say spinoff, I mean like off, off. This is definitely not a retelling. So we start with our main character, Izzy Crane, who has just relocated to Sleepy Hollow. And she's trying to kind of find her way in this new town and new high school uh, and the school and the city are just obsessed with Washington and Irving's legend of the Headless Horseman. And she's like, that's quaint and also ridiculous because she finds out they all think it's real. And she's like, that's hilarious because ghosts aren't a thing. But are they, you guys? Are they? Hmm. So I don't want to do spoilers. It takes such a hard right turn into unexpected directions that's so fun. I, I really want you to go in more blind. So I'm going to say it's cozy, it's gay, and it's perfect Halloween fall vibes. If that doesn't sell you, I don't know what will. I think folks who like pumpkin heads or mooncakes would be really into it. It does have a sort of Nimona style art that I found really cute and appealing. Yes, it, it is just ugh, the warm fuzzies, the warm fuzzies, but engaging story and mystery. You have until Halloween night to save your love, you know, all the all the best things. That sounds perfect for the type of uh, like weather and the, the time of the season. And mm -hmm. just as everything kind of leaves, as we exit summer. That sounds perfect for that. So great, great, great read, I think. I'm going to put that on on my list because I also love mooncakes. Uh, so you've sold me on that one. Mooncakes is wonderful, too. It is wonderful. Well, let me 
continue the the YA train uh, because I also read. I don't normally get into YA stuff, but in a couple of weeks uh, we will have Claudia Gray visiting one of our local conventions, and I figured oh, nice. if I'm going to meet this author, maybe I should read something that they worked on. Uh, so I read Hazavel Book One, The Shadow Threat. Uh, this is by Claudia Gray, illustrated by Eric Sawatsky. Uh, in this first graphic novel of a trilogy, we explore Krypton like never before through the eyes of two teenagers on opposite sides of the same extinction level event. I love the drama of like this whole, you know, different houses and the caste system from Krypton because all the, you know, all the Kryptonians, like they were genetically coded to like, this is who you have to be in the world. Uh, and it just, it really feels very like um, divergent and like uh, Hunger Games. Like it just, it gives me those vibes. So I really, I was really enjoying just the introduction to this, but everything is like DC superhero flavored, like with this, the story of Krypton that I know how it's going to end, yeah. right? I've read Superman books. <laughs> I know what's going to happen soon. Uh, but either way, I am very invested in these characters. Uh, the art is beautiful. I love how uh, the art team just portrays the all the technology stuff at the you know with the upper uh, levels of Krypton and how we get down and things get a little bit grittier and darker in the other sectors of Krypton. So uh, I think it's really fun. Uh, and I'm look like once I picked up the book, I read it. It's like a hundred and something, like 170 pages. I just devoured it that night. And I would have kept reading if it hadn't. It was already like 11 at night and I had to go to sleep. Uh, otherwise, I would have kept reading because these are all on the DC Infinite app. So I, I can I can mm-hmm. read them there. Um, so I'm very excited. I'm very excited to ask some questions to the author. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that comes to fruition in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, that was really, really fun. Now, Tia, how are you and how are comic books been? I'm okay. I don't know if everyone can hear my cat screaming at me in the background or if Xander is going to do his magic and edit her out. But, um, you know, she has like been super clingy lately. And so she has permitted me to read some comic books, but sitting at my desk to record this apparently is a bridge too far. So (laughs) just to let you guys know, this is unapproved behavior. Um, Like, Go ahead. It's good to have an extra voice, I think, on the podcast every once in a while, right? So if Holiday wants to chime in, go for it. Okay, yeah. She had she had some gambit thoughts for later, maybe. <laughs> but um, I read A Haunted Girl, which is one of four. It's going to be a mini series. It's by Ethan Sachs and Naomi Sachs. They're a father-daughter writing team, which is pretty cool. And um, the art is by Marco Lorenzana. And the story is about Cleo. She's an adopted teenage Japanese American. And basically when we meet her, she is wrapping up a stay in um, a psych ward because she has really severe depression. And so she, the story is about her kind of trying to go back to her old life, go back to school. Um, and the problem is that she's having these like really terrifying what people are telling her are nightmares there she's being visited by these ghosts and um it's like 
a problem that is not really related to the depression problem. Seemingly, we we kind of find out in the course of the story that like there might be something going on there. So, um, I mean, look, I chose the book because the cover reminded me of The Crow, and it seems like it's going to be like a, a very emotional kind of horror story. Which, like, I don't know it it. There's an essay in the back by Ethan Sachs explaining like that this is, you know, inspired by their real experience. And it made me a little bit uncomfortable at first because I was like, oh, man, like, you know, if I were a teenager and I was in a psych ward that I would not want a book written about that. But then I but then he he clarified that she's co-writing it with him. So I'm, I'm glad that she's getting to tell her story in a way that I hope is like healing for her in her own terms like you know i think that that's a good thing and then to get back to the book itself like it's super j horror vibes but also haunting of hill house oh okay and, yeah haunt you had me and, at haunting of hill house <laughs> <laughs> i know i know right and seriously you guys i want to rewatch it so bad but i can't because i'm too scared <laughs> it, is, it is the time to do it right now Holiday's not going to protect me, okay? I'll, I'll buddy watch it with you if you're <laughs> okay. serious, because I also can't watch it alone. <laughs> it's not the watching it part that's the problem. It's the going to bed later that night that's the problem. <laughs> See, for me, if I can heckle watch it with someone, we're good. Uh, it's oh, the yeah. being heckle alone the watching it and getting too... Yeah. Mm, yep. <laughs> but yeah, do you mean do you mean it's like that in the unreliable narrator sense? Um, I mean, it's like that in the, um, like, a, a person is being haunted, and it's kind of like, uh, f- focusing in and out of her real life, like, horrifying experience with depression and like, you know, n- near suicide, ex- you know, not wanting mm-hmm. to be alive. But then also, like, she has some kind of power or like um i don't know role with these ghosts that she has to fulfill so it's kind of like she's got to dig deep and you know find the will to live to uh, engage with these ghosts somehow i actually found the whole thing to be kind of like a metaphor for the horrors of the transition from girlhood to womanhood which i think is actually like a really common way that you could tell a story like this and like use horror because like let's be real it's pretty horrible yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and the other thing that i thought was interesting and i'll like call back to this later when we talk about the gambit book that i read so i was talking to a friend who's like a super comic book person he's a writer he's an artist he's been around forever and he has a lot of opinions about gambit too and so we were talking about how different the art style was in the 90s, and it almost felt like a historical artifact. Like I couldn't even hate on it, even though it's not really my aesthetic, because it it's just so different. And and it just seemed really noteworthy to mention that. And he was like, Well, yeah, you know, now comic books are all like paraphrasing here but basically like the idea behind our conversation was that comic books are now so self-conscious of of the way that they feed into like other media as ip that a lot of t- and reading this book specifically i felt like the visuals compared to gambit were so 
sparse and economical. Like there was very little melodrama in the art, even though there were a lot of big visuals relating to like the supernatural aspects. Um, yeah, it's just like comics in the 90s were their own thing. Comics now, they have to engage with different forms of visual storytelling. And that was really evident in this book. Like it looked like storyboarding for a film. I, I, I can definitely see that. So I, I've also read this book. We read it for our stream this week. And I'm a big fan of Ethan Sachs, like from Star Wars stuff and a lot of the stuff that he's done with uh, the Old Man Logan Wasteland spinoffs. Like there's a lot of spinoffs now out of that universe. And Ethan Sachs written a lot of those. But to echo what you said earlier, Tia, like I felt like I was being intrusive in this story. And I'm like, am I even mm-hmm. supposed to be reading this? Is this for me? Very similar to when I read uh, it's, Lo- it's Lonely at the Center of the Earth from Zoe Thorgood. Like, I was like, I don't know if this is like, am I supposed to be reading this book? Like, it's very personal, it feels. But and then I, I read the letter in the back and it, it all kind of really clicked. But I love the visuals. Uh, I got a lot of like, you know, the ring or uh the grudge the vibes because those mm-hmm. are movies that are ingrained in my conscience from when i was a teenager so yeah i also very much enjoyed it and it's a one in four so like miniseries i'm here for them because it's a low commitment yeah and i think that there's less pressure on the creative team to like spin it out for a long time so you know that they are going to have like you know the the story of the entire book like is being told at the pace that they are planning to tell it beginning to end. Yep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's definitely great for the season as well. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of visuals that I'm like, Oh my goodness, that's uh terrifying. Why are you, how do you draw this? So, well, let me talk about one last book before we get onto the top of our pile. And this is a book that I, I'm surprised I hadn't read years ago. Because everybody puts this, like, they did just really talk about it. Uh, the book I read was Daredevil Born Again. Uh, this is written by Frank Miller with art by David Masuchelli. This is one of those books that, I don't know, people always have on lists. And I don't know if this is a, this isn't a book that I would recommend to somebody getting into comics. But I would recommend to, like, hey, do you want to see what why people thought comics were cool back in the 90s? Like, this is probably something you want to take a look at. Uh In the book, Kingpin systematically takes apart the life of Matt Murdock after finding out his identity. And I will say, there's a lot of stuff in the story that hasn't aged well or maybe shouldn't have even been part of the story to begin with, but that's the Frank Miller of it all. But the saving grace of this book to me is David Masticelli's art is fantastic. Like, in the back of my head, I keep thinking, like, is this better than the work that he did in in Batman Year One? Uh, but like, who, who am I to make those decisions? Right. I think art is very personal, but boy, I was really excited, um, uh, to get into this book. Like the first half of the book is very strong as far as like the story and the art. I think it loses a little bit of steam towards the end because this is an ongoing series. So like comics can't really have finality, but that's just an aspect of comics that I've learned to live with. But yeah, I finally feels like I've crossed a big one of my list of like things I should read. Uh, but yeah, Daredevil Born Again was quite, quite a, a, well, like we read it for book club. So we all had a very good time discussing that, uh, book. Now let's move on to the top of our pile. And I'm going to start with, uh, some of the discord picks. So we have a few folks in the discord listening live. Uh, so Hannah's reading Poison Ivy. 
which I'm also reading. I'm waiting for the next trade to come out. And Matt is reading night number one. But uh, Kate, what's on the top of your pile? What are you reading next? I am really looking forward to Night Fever by Ed Brubaker. Uh, it's illustrated by Sean Phillips and colors by Jacob Phillips. It It's next on my pile because it's due in two days uh, and cannot be renewed. Ergo, has to get read. Uh, but it looks super cool. This is the like kind of dark noir. Um, you're in Europe on a business trip and can't sleep and find yourself wandering the night in in this European country and it's supposed to be like suspenseful I think and kind of a Jekyll and Hyde story of you know the darkness within yourself and so on and so forth it looks and here's why I picked it up Halloweeny is it seasonally appropriate that's the question you have to ask yourself it looks like the answer is yes so i'm excited for it also do you ever really go wrong with ed brubaker not usually so have you guys read this one already i know a lot of you guys on the pod have uh yeah i read this uh back when image was promoting this book a while back so like they they were they they sent the review copy and i read it and i was like oh my god i can't wait to talk about this book so i'm very excited for your journey <laughs> and i'm very excited to hear what you have to say uh maybe next time you're on the podcast because uh i i quite enjoyed it but it, it's definitely very different than some of the previous stories that brubaker and phillips have done for mm -hmm. some of their other quarterly books so i'm 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 very excited to hear the reception on this because it, like i said it's different but it's still like the team is quality so yeah yeah Yeah, I got it. Instead of reading the like review copy stuff on my iPad, um, I did get my library. Uh, crazily enough, got a, like a really nice hardcover copy of the trade, and so I was like, "Heck yeah!" So grab that. They they always print those books with such nice quality. Like mm -hmm. it's a little hardback and it's a little pricier than normal, uh, but I think it's worth it because it looks really like all my Brubaker uh, Phillips books. Like they look really nice on the shelf. So yeah. Cool. Uh, Tia, what are you reading next? Well, um, I feel like if we're doing seasonally appropriate, since it's New York Comic Con as we're recording this, um, and I really love this book and it came out, we should talk about Parasocial by Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson, which is basically Misery, the Stephen King novel Misery for nerds. Um, it's about <laughs> like a, you know, D-list actor who does the con circuit with the, you know, autographs and pictures that people can buy and a fan, a very overzealous fan and how that doesn't go great for either of them. And, um, I, you know, it's like, look, not to like, not to say anything bad about nerds, but I think everyone involved in the nerd sphere, whether they're a creator or an, a, a fan, like, we all can relate to the experience of just like getting a little bit too excited or getting, or like feeling alternately feeling a little bit uncomfortable with social interactions. So this definitely, I think like is a fair sort of like take, you know, nobody is like, everybody's bad. Everybody's terrible, but also like nobody is entirely a villain. Like you understand, you understand. I'm not, maybe I, I shouldn't say that they're not the villain because there's definitely like some right and wrong going on here. But I mean, like it, I, it does, I think sympathetically examine how sort of 
dysfunctional the social dynamics of nerd culture are. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll say that. And also, it's a beautiful hardcover as well. So, like, on the topic of beautiful hardcovers. Yeah. yeah I think a lot of us have been at a either, like, a comic book panel or maybe waiting in line at a signing. And then somebody does something, and even you feel, like, third-party and, like, awkward mm-hmm. for the whole yes. situation. Yeah. Uh, so... Or like uh, thinking that you know someone because you follow them on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure that, that everyone's been guilty of that in some capacity. Um, or like conversely, having people be a little too familiar with you. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, and also, I mean, I think that Erica Henderson is a really incredible artist. And so many people, I feel like really kind of box her in with like squirrel girl cute but she has like a, a range y'all so um you know the art here is pretty fantastic I, I think people should do some homework and maybe read this before going to new york comic-con so you <laughs> maybe you get a lesson <laughs> out of it uh you know before on how to behave or, or not behave at a con <laughs> cool um, all right. Well, for my pick, this should come as no one, surprise to no one. I'm reading a Batman book. Uh, this is Batman <laughs> City of Madness number one. Uh, now, to be fair, I think I would have picked a book by this author regardless of it, whether it was a Batman book or not. This is by uh, written by an art by Christian Ward. Uh, oh, so, favorite. like, yeah, so that's just a bonus that there's it's a bonus that it's a Batman book. Uh, in this book, Buried deep beneath Gotham, there exists another Gotham. This Gotham below is a living nightmare populated by twisted mirrors of our Gotham's denizens, fueled by the fear and hatred flowing down from above. For decades, the doorway between the cities has been sealed and heavily guarded by the Court of Owls. But now the door swings wide open and a twisted version of the Dark Knight has escaped uh, to trap and train his own Robin. Uh, So this already has, like, it crosses a lot of things off my checklist. Batman... Christian Ward, The Court of Owls, like, how how else would this not, like, be at the top of my pile? So I'm very excited to get into this. I have the book, but I didn't read it on purpose, just so I could put it on the top of my pile for the show. Uh, but it comes out next week, and I'm very excited for people to get into it. Um, so let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back and get real deep into Gambit. Uh I'm looking at our notes and I think it's going to be a really fun and unhinged and very interesting discussion. Uh, So we'll come back in just a second. For our main topic today, we will be talking about some Gambit books that we read. But before that, make sure to check us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Goodreads, and YouTube. Uh, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast, And you can follow along with our semi-regular updates for free today. What, what an offer. Mike is such a generous person on his birthday setting up the Patreon for you to check it out for free. Uh, you don't want to miss out on that deal. Deal of a lifetime, I think. Uh, so, so for today's episode, um, Mike, I feel like Mike just kind of threw a grenade at us and then walked away saying like, hey guys, it's my <laughs> birthday coming up. It's my birthday. So here's a list of Gambit comics you can read. Um, and then, you know, pick some or all of them or whatever. And, uh, and then talk about them. So like, we really had 
very little choice as to as to this assignment, but I feel like we all really embraced it uh, only because we like Mike. But do we like Gambit? We will find out. So Tia, I'm going to throw it back to you because I, from our list, I feel like you read some of the older stuff. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience? Uh, well, actually, before that, do you have what's your prior experience with Gambit before this episode? Primarily the 90s cartoon, honestly, and like briefly feeling betrayed that we never got the Texas Forever Gambit. And like, I never was um, in favor of the Channing Potatum Gambit. So I was like, not that disappointed that didn't get made. But yeah, that was my only Gambit experience. Okay, cool. Well, tell us a little bit about what you read. Well... Strap in, ladies and gentlemen, because I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) And I have detailed notes in the show notes and screenshots, which I think Patreon subscribers have access to. So just saying, you might want to check that out. But uh, I read Gambit 1 through 4 from 1993. So that was, I, that was, I think was the, one of the oldest ones on the list. And mm-hmm. um, was, I believe it was the first solo Gambit book, right? I, I think so, because his debut was not too far like before that. Right. So letterer, Richard Starkings, inker, Klaus Janssen, writer, Howard Mackey, colorist, Steve Bucatello, penciler, Lee Weeks. Like we're in peak, we're peak 90s here peak 90s comics so i'm just you guys all know that usually i get in really into analysis i am just going to go down the list of my reactions to the plot of this book okay mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ready okay yeah so apparently there's like families of thieves and families of assassins in new orleans and they are fighting and the assassins like can sometimes come back from the dead and then every seven years the tithe man comes and like everything goes to hell uh okay so like scene was nobody gonna tell me about Henri lebeau and his mustache <laughs> apparently gambit had a brother spoiler alert he dies in like the first two pages but before that amazing mustache that mustache also, got with- fridged <laughs> yes. um was no one gonna tell me gambit was like married i had to find out this way come on you guys i didn't know that um I, I also yeah I also found out uh, on this episode because I read something that kind of summarizes Gambit in like one issue, and I was like, he was what? Like there was a wedding? Oh my god! Go ahead, Tia. Married, full on married. So like Rogue is pining, and honestly, we can get into this later. But my theory is this is why we love Gambit. We don't actually like Gambit. We love Rogue, and Rogue loves Gambit, so we love Gambit through Rogue. Um. I also would like to point out that, like, poor Rogue has a, like, close-up ass shot in (laughs) at least every, like, once an issue. Where, like, there's the scene and, like, framing it is, like, on one side, it's, like, Wolverine's bicep, which is the same size as his head. And on the other (laughs) side, and then in the middle, there's, like, the action happening. And on the other side is, like rogues two ass cheeks that are also the same size as wolverine's bicep and head 
this happens at least once an issue. I am I have the, put the screenshots in the notes. One, okay, hold on. Once each cheek is the size of someone's head. I think the proper terminology is butonk. <laughs> Extreme, but close up. Okay, too close. Too close. Also. Yeah, I'm looking at the shot, and I think Klaus Johnson spent a little bit of time rendering that butt and that arm, and not enough time on everything else on the page. The butt is lovingly inked for sure. (laughs) Rogue's breasts are also lovingly inked throughout. So I, anyway, you know, the other artistic thing I will call out is I really wanted to choose my Gambit book based on how unhinged they drew his hair. And Lee Weeks really said, say less. Like I was not disappointed. (laughs) So there's a lot of rogue pining i'm here for the pining i'm here for the doomed romance there's a lot of inappropriate flirting we all know the kind of guy gambit is so like i feel like i made a good choice but then we find out that gambit and his wife whose name is belladonna it's like a romeo and juliet thing like he's a thief and she's an assassin so it's like very montague's and capulets like i'm loving this so far okay Um, And then you have a rogue and it's just so sad. But then also Belladonna is like mostly dead. And we all know there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. So like that's kind of throwing a wrench into the whole situation. And apparently the thieves have something called the elixir of life, which could save her. But um, like gambit can't give it to her because of the romeo and juliet thing also people tell me that like belladonna is not a popular character which a tells me that she comes back in other books and b like why cowards why one of the books i read had a warning in the sum not a warning but in the summary had a little note like from the editor editorial like don't worry belladonna's not in this series and I was like, oh that's, I was like, that's so mean. Like, and and granted, I haven't read much other than that one shot that had all this stuff in it. But I was like, that's so mean to do to one character. Yeah. So people hate her, but you know, again, probably because everyone loves Rogue. Like, I'm just saying. True. That is why I like Gambit. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> totally. Like, pack it up. We can go home. Unless you want to hear more <laughs> about not dead Julian and the incest. Wait, oh. what? so belladonna has a brother i call him not dead julian because apparently he's supposed to be dead but he's not dead um and he's like really mad about getting the elixir of life for belladonna so i'm getting like incest vibes it's giving prince nuada from hellboy and the golden army a little bit um and so it's weird because it's like gambit's after the elixir of life julian's after it like they both want to be the one to give it to her like i don't know what's happening but then so like rogue is babysitting the not um, almost not quite dead body of belladonna while gambit goes to try to find the elixir of life and like unrequited love rogue is super savage she's like should i steal this bitch's memories of the dude that i want Like, maybe. Come here, I just want to shake your hand. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's like, girl, don't do it. This is the mutant equivalent of, like, stalking the exes on Instagram. Like, that never goes well. Don't do it. And I think also it might kill her if you start to drain her powers. <laughs> Unlike stalking the exes on Instagram, it might also kill her. 
Um, and then Fuckboy Gambit has found... <laughs> okay, so apparently the whole reason for the Thieves Assassin setup and like the reason that the Elixir of Life is around is there's this being who happens to be a hot blonde in red lingerie. They call her an external... Um, I guess Eternals was already taken. And of course, Gambit has hooked up with her, naturally. Gambit, by the way, has hooked up with every woman in this book, except for this one old lady. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if that also happened. But um, <laughs> so he goes to visit his old flame. We also get a weird butt shot of her. So don't worry, there's butt shots for everyone. <laughs> yeah, truly, like, Gambit does not deserve Rogue. She is literally babysitting his dead wife who he wants to bring back to life. And don't you just hate it when you have to defend your immortal former hookup from your mostly dead wife's brother who wants to kill you both so he can have her all to himself, but you need to get back to your not dead wife's bedside where your current fling is keeping watch over her and reliving all your memories of being married to her. Cause like that's POV or Gambit on a random Tuesday, apparently. I, I hate the one that happens. Like- <laughs> So then plot twist, not that Julian does not want to fuck his sister. He just wants to get Gambit to steal the elixirs of life so that Julian can take them for himself and live forever and not save his sister, which like is classic sibling shit. That makes so much more sense than the incest. But also plot twist, if you take the elixir, apparently it makes you hideously ugly. And so then Gambit's like, "Mm, like, is it really worth having a not hot wife i don't know he's like really like thinking this over um so rogue is over here like i love you gambit and he's like hang on baby i'm saving my wife and drama 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 um fighting 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 belladonna wakes up but yay amnesia divorce she doesn't remember gambit or anything and he's like oh hey baby we were just friends um here's your dad he's gonna take you home now the end and then we have this great romance novel cover shot of Rogue and Gambit and their Lee Weeks hair and um, also a bunch of random Gambit art in the back of the book, including this like completely deranged basketball with Logan situation that I don't know why it was in there. It, it feels like a, like an ad in those magazines, because especially because of the Gambit at play bit, like... It feels like they were maybe trying to sell cologne or something like that in between the some of the adventures in the comic. Like, honestly, I'm just saying this has been drawn by a man who has never seen basketball, but has definitely seen homoeroticism. <laughs> and this, I mean, the the hair is fantastic. I, I love how long it is under the hat. In Sometimes the... he has a giant ponytail. Yeah. Is it like Ariana Grande's ponytail? Where it like comes you think, out? You think, t- you think, you think that Gambit has extensions yeah totally has extensions. you're gonna yeah. look at that drawing plays. and tell me he doesn't <laughs> that's true so yeah like i think the best punishment for gambit ultimately is to be in love with a woman that he can't touch or that would like really injure him if he did because it's just like the best poetic justice for a total fuck boy and that is what gambit is after reading this book like that is all he is wow i have many questions i think priceless reactions but first of all what so one of the things I want to talk about, because it hasn't evolved much, how do you guys feel about Gambit's, Gambit's headpiece? The the little, you know, the little thing that has that he, he it, it feels very 90s, but how do you guys feel, like as a fashion choice, that and the trench coat, how do you guys feel about that? 
the the trench coat is explained in the miniseries I read by Kelly Thompson from 2018. It turns out it's because the rest of the superheroes on the X-Men are just wearing skin-tight spandex, so they can't offer their jacket to a lady who just had her clothes shredded off and is a little chilly. And so he thinks ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's certainly a look. I people think, are on Gambit. I think someone was a moody 90s teenager and and like put that on the page <laughs> that is a great point though that no one that everyone else's costume is really skin tight and the in the trench coat shows the action a lot more in a yeah, still medium like comics and to be clear his costume is skin tight too but it's under said trench coat yeah i mean he'll show it to he'll show you anything under that trench coat <laughs> like all you have to do is ask yep you might not even have to ask like he would totally send you dick pics oh no gambit keep it just never give him a phone ever. Yeah. Um. The the thing about the early nineties gambit is those that gets me with the costume is those like over the knee metal boots. Listen, as someone who tried to make over the knee metal boots for cosplay, like what the fuck? <laughs> They're really useful for fighting, I guess. Like I don't know that it's practical. I was I gonna mean, say you couldn't yeah, move you can very let us well know. Yeah, you yeah, if you like don't need to bend your knees for any reason, they're great. <laughs> Oh my goodness! This this sense of insanity that that you read, yeah. I I'm, I'm only looking at a few panels that we have in the docs, and I'm like, do I want to read this? I don't think I do. But the way you no, kind of sold it, it's super fun. Okay, that's probably going on the list. I'm kind of glad we all read different eras of Gambit. Yeah, we'll we will circle back to everyone's thoughts, but let's kind of keep the train moving. Uh, Kate, what is what is your history with Gambit prior to this? Um, uh, prior to this episode limited so i came to the x-men originally back when the original x-men movies were coming out i loved them i had, was not a comics reader at the time so i didn't have criticism along that regard i had not watched the x-men 90s cartoon because my parents were uh solidly of the 90s parenting mentality that watching violent cartoons would make you violent as a child uh so you know, saved my precious little brain from that. Um, and so I started reading, when I started reading X-Men, that's when I got to see the broader cast and characters, right? And I, Gambit shows up here and there, and I honestly couldn't pinpoint. I read a lot of X-Men in the like 2012, 2015 era um, that was coming out. Um, but I had never read a dedicated Gambit book or a Gambit and Rogue book. Uh, so that was a first for me. So I read <laughs> part of one issue <laughs> of one of the 90s series. It was um, Gam the number one of the Gambit series from 1997, just titled Gambit, uh, written by Howard Mackey, uh, pencils by Claude Jansen. And I don't think either of them had ever heard anyone from new orleans speak because you see how we see gambit swinging in and he says into the scene at the start of this comic saying it f feels good to be back in d life <laughs> i need this like the gators need to swamp now how many of you have heard the phrase or uttered i need this like the gators need to swamp <laughs> I, I i've been to new orleans and i never saw that on a shirt <laughs> Uh, so so I don't think it's a very common phrase. <laughs> he 
He's been, he says, bouncing around outer space with DX men saving civilizations. <laughs> it's all well and good. Jamaican. <laughs> but a man, exactly. A man's got to cut loose sometimes. <laughs> and ever since I was of just a pup back in New Orleans, there was only one thing that could help me forget my troubles. Stealing. <laughs> No, but I love these 90s. Like, the 90s was just a different time. It was just this different era of of cultural sensitivity. Truly. Or lack of. Truly. And, like, we're expected in this comic to believe he's, like, stealthily moving around buildings, stealing precious artwork and stuff in thigh-high metal boots. Like, so stealthy. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. I'm just picturing the Tin Man. Yeah, mm-hmm. with, with a fluorescent pink top. Yes, exactly. So what I actually spent the most time reading was Rogan Gambit from 2018, which is a five-part miniseries by Kelly Thompson, p- uh, pencils and inks by per- uh, Perez, colors by Frank de Armada, and letters by IVS Joe Caramanga. Caramangana? There we go. We got it. Nailed it. Uh, their accents a little better, <laughs> but like just a little, you guys. It, it only took twenty years or so to make a small advance on their accents. Yeah, so like we get this scene, uh, said trench coat scene, where uh, Gambit is taking off and offering his trench coat to Rogue, who has you know, shredded clothes that now conveniently shredded in such a way to be basically a bra and undies. <laughs> and uh, Gambit says, and I, this is direct reading, Rogue, your clothes are messed up, girl. <laughs> and she says, Gambit, <laughs> ah, thank you. You're my hero or something. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Kelly I, Thompson, you can do better than this. Come on. <laughs> I feel like now I want to pitch for the Patreon like a dramatic reading of some Gambit books. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, no, Mike can do it too. Um, if you ever hang out with Mike a few drinks in, ask him to do Gambit. <laughs> you heard it. If you ever see Mike at a convention, buy him a beer and mm-hmm. uh, or yeah, buy him a beer and tell him to do a Gambit impression. So the plot of this miniseries, uh, or the idea is this, they're currently off again, um, but of their on-again, off-again relationship, and they're assigned by Kitty Pride, who's head of the X-Men at this point, to pretend to be a couple on the rocks that to so that they can go in undercover to investigate this, like, basically wellness therapy retreat, where mutants are disappearing, and... Of course, there's only one bed at the inn. They were expecting two rooms, oh my but God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so the they have to sit in sessions and talk about the history of their relationship. And it's Kelly Thompson does such a good job having them talk about old goofy situations that they were in and have and like kind of poke fun at them. So they are telling the different parts of their relationship, how they first met and how they first broke up and this and that. And it turns out, uh, spoilers here, fast forward a few minutes, uh, if you don't want spoilers for this 2018 series, that the um, supervillain Lavish is using this therapy sessions to basically create 
golems of of the X-Men by or other mutants. I guess they're not all X-Men of the version of them in the memory they're sharing. So they're telling heated emotional moments and then it brings to life a golem of that moment, like in that costume with those powers and such and such. And the more they share, the more they lose their powers and the powers go into these golems. So naturally this leads to fighting many versions of themselves all at once. And they repeatedly comment on how cathartic it is to beat the shit out of the other one. So Rogue takes on all the gambits and Gambit takes on all the rogues. And I'm like, Hang on. Uh, this doesn't sound healthy, you guys. I mean, it sounds healthier than their relationship just between the two of them. So That's that's true. So the thing is, with destroying the golems, you reabsorb uh, the powers and memories. So they start absorbing the other person's point of view from these, in- these traumatic instances, right? And realizing how they hurt each other. It's very good. Uh, would recommend reading this it's on marvel unlimited so they they have a kind of coming together um and again there's only one bed at the end yeah say more and then they like have to take on the rest of the golems and rogue in fighting them and uh basically absorbs all these different people's emotions and powers and becomes this totally totally dope looking uh extra super duper mutant that uh, should have should have stick around. It would have been way cooler if they're like, now she's like this for a year. Uh, I would have read all those comics. But alas, things get resolved because it's a miniseries and life goes on and now they are, you know, now they're Rogue and Gambit. <laughs> that sounds super rad because i uh, big fan of Rogue, big fan of the power absorption thing. And you're right, they can spice up the character. I love that we're not talking about Gambit. Uh, we they can spice up the character uh, by by doing that, but um, wow, what a what a series of twists and turns. Yeah, the thing that I that took me by surprise in this is there's mention of Rogue mentions that she has to find her mom Mystique, and I was like, wait, since when is Mystique Rogue's mom? Is that like a thing that I just didn't know? Yeah. Okay. Huh. Which. I don't know why. I don't know why they don't make a bigger deal of like Nightcrawler and Rogue being like half siblings. They wait. What they don't act like. Well, I mean, Rogue oh, Mystique is also uh, Nightcrawler's mom, so I, they. I didn't but know they any. barely bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, it's a very intricate family tree, I think. With with all of them, she just and... abandoned both of them. One to the circus, well, one to foster parents. Well, you know, Mystique was a uh, had other Adoptive things uh, parents, I guess, planned, but yeah. Yeah, she she had huh. other obligations to the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, so she neither would eventually come around and find her. Okay. Wow, uh, that that book was giving real uh, marriage stories. That that scene with Adam Driver and Scarlett <laughs> yes. Johansson, yes. where they're just yelling at each other until the end, where they kind of do redeem a little bit more, like where they understand each other. So that was that was nice. Uh, yeah, I, I like Kelly Thompson, so I should probably go check this out. They they definitely take advantage of Rogue losing her powers to have extra extra sexy times at the end <laughs> and like so convenient for them. <laughs> Gambit never misses a beat. That's right. Wow, wow. Uh, I don't know what I read compared to either one of those stories, but <laughs> but let me give you let me give it a shot. Let me tell you what guys what I read. So I'm gonna start with the all this stuff. So I went back and read Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, 266. 
uh, just because it's the first appearance of Gambit. And it also leads out of one of the other books I read. Uh, so that's written by Chris Chris Claremont with pencils by Mike Collins, Joseph Robinstein on colors, Brad Bencat on colors. There's two R, there's two anchors, uh, Pat Brousseau and Tom Orson on Sakowski on letters. You rarely see it two letters in one issue. Uh, but, you know, real quick, like in this, this book is kind of nonsense if you jump into the middle of it. Uh, but Gambit saves Storm, who's currently a child for some reason. I, I don't even know. I didn't even look into why Storm is a child at the moment. Uh, but the rest of it is nonsense. I don't even remember what happened. It was just like Shadow King, Nanny, and the Orphan Maker are part of it. And they want Gambit to do something. Uh, so I was like, well, I'm not digging more into this. So I pivoted uh, to another book called X-Men Origins Gambit uh, 2009, which, you know, I think this is what the movie that Tia wanted uh, from, from your mention earlier. Uh, <laughs> My Texas Forever movie. That's right. I don't even know that kid's real name. <laughs> it is the Friday Night Light kids. That's all you need to know. I know. Uh, uh, it's written by Mike Carey with art by David Yarden. So... This one is the one that kind of fills you in. It's a nice one shot that tells you all about uh, Gambit being married, uh, you know, being in that duel, being exiled from the Thieves Guild. Even though I will say Gambit seems to be very honorable when it comes to that part of it. Like he accepted his fate uh, and he spared Belladonna the the pain of like her also being exiled because he knew that if they both left, she would eventually... I think Belladonna's like the heir to the Assassin's Guild. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if they both left, like he knew that he would, she would eventually resent him, and he didn't want that for either of them. Um, but then it goes into like Gambit working for Mister Sinister to build the Marauders, and you know, like this book leaves off in the page where his first appearance is in the issues. It's a nice prequel, even though this is from two thousand nine. It's a nice prequel to his first appearance because it ends with him being at that hotel where he saved Storm. Uh, so that was that was just nice happenstance that I got a kind of a full story there. Uh, and then the last book will be a little bit more nonsense. So I hope you guys are ready for quite a ride. Not as exciting as the 1993 stuff that we just talked about, but uh, I read Gambit from 2012, uh, which a quick gripe for Mike. Mike, Michael, if you're listening, which I hope you are, you told us to read a one through six of this series. And if I had done that, I wouldn't have finished the story and I would have been very upset. So I actually read one through seven, uh, which doesn't even finish the story, but it's a good stopping point. I feel this is a once it's called once a thief. This is written by James Asmus with art by Clayman colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by Corey Petit. There's so much happening here. There's a sexy thief business. There's a heist. There's a kidnapping, demonic dimensions. There's a giant dragon. And of course, because Clayman is writing this book, there's a lot of sexy outfits and poses. Uh, And, you know, I think I could tell, I think Mike and I are around the same age. So I can tell why he probably likes Gambit. He's just a very suave guy when it comes to like entering a party, which is how we start this book. Uh, he meets uh, another thief that he doesn't know is a thief, but of course they're both going after the same thing. Uh, they end up getting caught going to Guatemala because they just met and they're going a trip to Guatemala, uh, which there's a lot of implied 
other stuff that happens in between the pages in the trip. Uh, but I think that's just part for the course for a Gambit book. Uh, but this is where things really caught me off guard. They go into this other dimension where like a dragon that looks like King Ghidorah shows up and the thief double crosses Gambit and she steals what, like what they were after and leaves him out there to be uh, kind of kidnapped by the, the original guy that they stole from. Uh, so overall, this story was so convoluted and weird. Uh, but because Clayman is on art, we do get a lot of Gambit posing and like, uh, not just Gambit, but everyone around him, like just very good looking characters. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that I got much out of any of the stories that I read from Gambit, except for that one shot that explains a lot of his backstory. So maybe I should have read some of the stuff you guys read. Well, you can. We had a great time. Marvel Unlimited. So. Yeah. Yeah, we sure can. Um, well, we have a few questions, but is there is there anything else before we go on to our questions? Uh, T.R. Kate, is there anything else you guys have uh, on the weeding cover from any of the books that you read or any other Gambit stuff that you want to chat about? I feel like we've been very thorough. Good. Being prepared is a big part of this podcast, and <laughs> we are nothing if overprepared for this one. <laughs> so let, let's talk about some questions that Mike left for us. And I'm going to combine question one and two, I think, because they seem very similar. Do you understand... And I'm going to start with Tia. Do you understand why Mike loves this character? Yes, I think I do. I think I do. I think that um, it's, for, I think it's for the same reason that I grudgingly also love this character, which is that, first of all, like you guys all need to understand that Mike is such a good sweet boy. <laughs> like, at his, like that is his archetype is good sweet boy. Um, and Gambit obviously is not a good sweet boy. But, like, he could be on the inside. I don't know. I feel like Gambit isn't necessarily a bad person. He's just kind of how he is. Like, maybe he's, like, a little, like, thoughtless and flashy and, like, not super loyal to women. But he is also the guy that, like, (laughs) he's the fuckboy who if any woman he's ever fucked in his whole life called him and was like I need help moving this weekend I need help with this I need you to do this he would be there for them so a fuckboy with a heart of gold kind of yeah (laughs) and like Mike is just like a heart of gold with a heart of gold so you know maybe he's interested in the another expression of of like having a heart of gold okay that that you know what that's good that's good to put on the list I counterpoint I think that Mike likes Gambit (laughs) for the same reason that everyone loves Jubilee. Things explode with Gambit. It is a cool freaking power. He he runs around with a cool trench coat saying cool things. He's kind of the bad boy, right? Like he's just a cool character. And I don't know for sure, but I bet Mike started his Gambit love as a teenage boy. And this is like the peak teenage boy character. He has one of those long staffs. He throws things that cards of all things that explode. It's just, yeah, things go boom. Yeah. Gambit definitely like has an adolescent quality Mm -hmm. to him that I think that checks out. Yeah, I I quite agree with both of you, actually, because the things I had on my list is I feel like, you know, Mike has talked about like getting, uh, 
you know, cool, uh, like, biker vest for the podcast. So I know that he wants to be a bad boy. But <laughs> on the inside, on the inside, he has a heart of gold. So, like, he, he in which Gambit overall, like, he's honorable, right? He does, yeah. he does a lot of things to to keep his honor and the honor of others. So, like, I definitely understand that. So it's it's a good, plus, I mean, that hair, come on. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't want that hair? I I want to start wearing a headpiece. See what that looks like. Um, and I think yeah. you could do it with the right with the right styling products. Just just a bunch of mousse, <laughs> uh, and maybe maybe take some pointers. Get a trench coat in case I ever see a damsel in distress. That's right. Uh, cool. Uh, let's see. We have another question. Uh, was Taylor Kish the best pick for the live action portrayal? Now, Ti, I feel like you have strong feelings about this. Yes, I've definitely like made my feelings known about this. I am not a Channing Tatum fan, and I know he's from New Orleans and everything, but as we've established, Gambit is barely from New Orleans, so that doesn't barely. get you more points, Channing. That's fair. Um, Kate, what do you think about all this? Are you Did, did you watch Wolverine Origins? Do you know all I about Taylor Kish and his portrayal? I did, but I okay. didn't know gambit from the comics at the time so i really wasn't uh here nor there about it i was just like i loved all of the x-men movies unironically because they were the x-men and i it was my first X-Men. i was like they're awesome uh and it wasn't until later that i was like oh some of them are just so much cooler in the comics you mean rogue's not just a damsel in distress this is amazing so yeah i had no yeah. problems with it at the time but i think in retrospect you know there's better, but I, I'm not one of those people who's good at like, I don't know actors names, so I'm not a fantasy caster, if you will. Yeah, same. I'm just happy that they keep making movies yep. about comic books. Uh, but I mean, you know, Taylor Kish, give him another shot. I don't, I'm not, I'm not against it. Uh, I think he had a very good look. I think anybody that has long hair can give Gambit a shot if it's styled properly. That's Yeah, but you, you also really like, if you watched Friday Night Lights, like, I feel like he has that whole like sad boy thing that yeah. Gambit sometimes has. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Does that's he have very true. Right. The Gambit and he swagger. Has honor. He, does he does have the have... swagger. He has the honor. He literally goes to prison for his brother because his brother's having a baby and he doesn't want his brother to miss it. Yeah, this is this is now turning into the Friday Night Lights. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow! I mean, I haven't thought about that chum forever so thank, thanks for that as well mike um all right and the last question we have is there anything you still don't get about this guy now i'm gonna throw it back to kate is there anything you still need to don't get about gambit no i think he's pretty self-explanatory honestly yeah yeah tia anything for you yeah i know there's a lot of gambit haters out there and i just feel like why do you hate fun like don't overthink it, it it's not that deep yeah, I think my only question, and, and it was partially answered in this episode, which was the trench coat. So thank you very much. The pink tones on his, on a thief's outfit, like the pink neon, doesn't make a lot of sense. It's questionable. And also his headpiece covers his ears. You'd think a thief would want to be like listening to everything going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so well, maybe it depends the, the outfit... on the artist. Sometimes his ears stick out of the headpiece, which is, I think, <laughs> more true. fun. Yeah, I bet, it's, I bet it's also way harder to draw, so maybe that's why they covered him up. There you go. Yeah, that's the only thing. Uh, I love the... I mean, the playing card stick is really fun. I I don't see enough 
comics about Gambit being good at poker. I feel like he no, always the, blows the up the table. No, the should be that he's really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. I think we solved Gambit. Like, this was a very productive day for Never everyone here, I think. Never need to talk about him on the podcast again. Never oh, again. No. <laughs> uh, unless the patrons, we set a goal and the patrons give us that uh, live reading of Gambit comics and everybody tries a, a Cajun accent. And definitely not Jamaican accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay cool well as we wrap up the episode we wanted to send mike a nice little birthday message so i you know we can either share a memory or talk about and i'll start because i've never met mike in person uh but i think it's really fun to have friends on the internet that you've never met that you still feel like are very cool people uh so i'm very thankful that met them in online and also that I get to do this podcast because I love talking about comic books. And then I got to meet all of you guys as well because of Mike. So there's that. Um, Tia, do you have any fond memories of Mike? I know you've met him. I, we used to work together. And um, I actually, yes, I'm, I'm feeling like extremely sad and nostalgic about New York Comic Cons gone by. And I remember very vividly the first New York Comic Con when... I was working at Comixology and the Comixology after parties were always like pretty great. And we like had a dance floor going and I have a really great picture actually. And Mike's in it and we're all on the dance floor just like being crazy. And yeah, we have a lot, we had a lot of good memories in those, from those days of just like, you know, comic cons and after party, like, you know, dance floors and um, book clubs at, at work and uh so mike is a really good person like he cares so much about comics and he does so much good to like make sure that there's good safe spaces for pe- other good comic book people to gather and uh, i really appreciate that about him great <clears throat> kate I met Mike when I was the president of uh, my undergrad university's comic book club. And turns out that is a comic book club that one Mike Raffin started at that school uh, years prior. And we were trying to figure out guest speakers and stuff. And our like faculty advisor or staff advisor uh, is one of Mike's friends from undergrad. And it was like, oh, he works at Comixology now. And I was like, oh, maybe we could have him like come come talk about that or whatever like on on zoom you know and um and that is in fact exactly what happened and how i uh first met mike and then started doing the website stuff with him uh writing little comics reviews and then joined the podcast but the the fun part is i have a picture from this club meeting uh that i every now and then comes up on that like hey remember this timeline kind of thing on social media that is just like an auditorium classroom kind of setup full of uh current club members and then at the front of the room is one of these like wall size screens that's pulled down with just mike's head really big <laughs> on it like not even neck just chin to forehead just huge uh the uh, the god that started your club behold he's gone where all of you wish to go because this was like the prime of comicsology before they started doing things like taking away our pull list site and all those things and before they got sold to amazon and uh it was a really great meeting and people were so into it and it it was a 
a great experience. And then I met so many friends through this podcast and through Mike and uh, yeah, but that was, that is my favorite memory, I think. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I think we've done it. So this was really fun. I don't often get to host, uh, probably for good reason, but hopefully this <laughs> turned out okay. You did uh, a great job, Danny. Thank you very much. Uh, I wasn't fishing for a compliment, but I'll take it. Uh, also, if you're listening to this, let Mike know how I did. Anyways, uh, as we wrap up the show, we have a comic book question of the week, uh, which is a whole new concept for me, so let's get into it. <laughs> so if you are listening to this, do you have a favorite place to read comic books? If so, let us know where it is. You can email your answers to ircbpodcast at gmail.com. Mike reads all those emails. Uh, so let him know. Uh, next week's topic, we have an IRL episode, question mark. Uh, Mike, Brian, and Kate Lanfear talk about comics in New Jersey and hang out in person. That is insane information. Infinity Shred is the best band. They do our music. Xander is invisible when no one is watching. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Tia. Thank you very much, Kate. Thank you, Zach, for proof listening and everybody else that was on the Discord chat. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Bye.